Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. My dad was the greatest encourager that I ever knew, and I want to tell you about him in this book, the things that my dad taught me, stories about his life, stories from my own life, and other relative connecting principles. You can go to Amazon.com and get it in paperback or Kindle. And now, here's another great episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast coming right now. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now, here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have a, a neat guy. And, and as fathers, we, we, we connected on that level. And, and he has got some really powerful resources for dads, for parents, really, out there everywhere. And he has put together something called Daddy Saturday that he's going to tell you about. He is a faith forward leader, a publishing and healthcare disruptor. We didn't get into that too. And uh, my guest today is Justin Bat, who joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Justin, what a what a great name, man! I love that name, Justin Bat. You know, you should get sponsored by Louisville Slugger or something like that. <laughs> How you doing today, man? Man, I'm awesome. I'm doing so great. It's a pleasure to be with you. And you know, growing up, I played baseball. And my nickname was Batter all the way through. In fact, if someone said the name Justin while I was at school, even my teacher called me Batter. I wouldn't even respond. So the name Batter, Batman's been with me for a long time. The Hitman. Yeah, there you go, man. I, I wasn't very much of a hitter, so it, it wouldn't have mattered if if my <laughs> last name were Stick or Slugger or something like that. I was I was not that much of a of a hitter when I played uh, growing up myself. Justin, let's start here today. You know, everything has been affected by COVID-19. Um, tell me and talk to me about what COVID-19 has done for you and your family, whether it's brought some new opportunities or, or some challenges. How have you and your family navigated around the COVID-19 pandemic as we record this, still in the midst of COVID-19? Well, I think that it's um, it's been interesting because we've been a, a case study or a microcosm as a family of what can happen when you you set intentional goals as a family, you're aligned around a family mission, vision, values, because for us, COVID has been a time of extreme change, and it's been a positive change. By the grace of God, um, we've had some things just kind of fall in our favor, but we took some bold steps in the midst of that and pivoted some tremendous pivots to make that happen. So we lived in Charleston, South Carolina for the past five and a half years. We loved the beach, loved the community that we were in. We thought that was gonna be our, our permanent home for a long time to come and just began to feel this stirring as the pandemic began to happen. And God placed me specifically in a few situations where I was able to experience some, some areas where there was land. And I just came home to my wife and said, "Hun, I, I, I feel like we're being called to to look for land and to expand where we're raising our kids and how we're raising our kids and to take a different perspective on this and it may require us to move. And we landed on uh, just outside Nashville, Tennessee on a 15 acre farm and sold our house and moved the entire family multi-state during the middle of the pandemic and in, in the middle of um, April and landed up in June in, in Nashville and have now living on a 15 acre farm and kids moved schools and all new friends and didn't know anybody in the area when we moved. And it's just been a tremendous blessing. Uh, the kids have, have found great friendships and were able to play sports. The area we in was not affected heavily by COVID. Um, we've made some great lifelong friends already. We feel like we've known for four and a half years, not four and a half months like we've been here mm -hmm. and really embraced the community. And, and the community's embraced us, especially the platform Daddy Saturday and our mission and our ministry. So, you know, COVID has been a, a time of disruption but it's been a positive disruption and it's been really great for our family. We've come very much closer together and it's, you know, expanded our, our perspective and our viewpoint. But a lot of that came from the fact that we had 
rooted goals, rooted family mission, vision, values. We had to pivot a lot of those, but especially the goals, but we ended up um, in a whole new place that God led us to. And it's, you know, more than we could have ever asked or imagined. Justin, how do you keep stability in the midst of instability? Because again, you, you feel like God is leading you and, and I, I applaud and admire your sensitivity because a lot of people would go, okay, can I, Lord, can I put this off until this is over with? Mm -hmm. At least let us just stay here until this is over with, because that's a natural reaction. When, when there's so much uncertainty and there's so much of, okay, we, we know what it's like here in the Charleston, South Carolina area in the midst of pandemic, but now we're moving 10 plus hours west to Nashville, we had no idea what's going on in Nashville. Was it hard for you to keep a sense of stability in the midst of instability around all of this? Yeah, it was. And and just to add fuel to the fire, um, on our last surfing trip on the beach in Charleston, I was stung by a stingray in my lower foot. And we moved to Nashville, and I have to have emergency surgery the first week that we're here in a VRBO um, trying to get everything settled with the new house and moving in and all the things. And so talk about... See, that's when you know it's time to go. You get stung by a jellyfish <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, it's time to go now. Yeah, I mean, it was like a parting gift, right? And it was injury to insult as we left. But, you know, that created a lot of instability and insecurity because for me, one of the things that I take a lot of security in is my, my physical fitness, my health. Um, I had planned to run a 100-mile race in 24 hours and was going out to Utah to do that to benefit human trafficking, an organization that stops that. And, you know, all of that was taken away. I trained for six months. So in addition to the move, I had something that I'd worked for six months for, this huge goal that I had that I was still going to be able to accomplish despite the pandemic. And all that was ripped away. And so I found myself as, the, as a father, as a husband, as a spiritual leader of our family in a, this big pool of insecurity and instability. And then we found the same thing for our kids. I think what we did, though, was we looked at it and said, okay, for our kids especially, how can we find things that are points of security for them? So my daughter, for example, she does competitive hip-hop dancing. And so we went around and we found a couple of studios in Nashville that we found were, were, were great studios for her and were a good fit for our values as well as what she was trying to accomplish. And so she had a point of stability where she could trade hip hop for hip hop. And it was an upgrade to come to Nashville and the studios that were here. Um, my boys, um, my son had never played tackle football. He was able to join the tackle football team here in fifth grade, Blaine, and was able to have a flag football season. And that immediately got him friends and teammates and camaraderie, right? And the social aspect of what he was looking for. And my younger boys, I coached flag football and stepped up and put them in that position. So, so athletics, is an example of something that we did that was stability because it was something they had back home, something that would give them something to look forward to, but also was familiar to them in the new environment, but also would inject them into environments where they would have um, social friends and, and break down some of the barriers of being the new kid and the new move and to make that easier. It was far harder with our daughter, girls with boys typically is, but we looked for some of those things that could provide stability. Um, finding a church and training stuff with a church family um, you know, the school obviously was a big piece of that. And then we just really focused on intentional time together as a family. So we created rally points where we would um, do things one-on-one -on -one or just spent time in dialogue around the dinner table and making sure the lines of communication were open and we were sharing information often and making sure that our kids were, you know, expressing how they felt besides how was your day good and what's going on, nothing, right? Like making sure that we were digging down deeper to understand if they were really okay with the move and how they were doing and and how things were going. So those were a couple of things that helped us immensely in the process of moving. And I, I believe in Daddy Saturday, a big principle is far more is caught than taught. And so a big piece of that was also my wife and I just showing that whether we were or not, especially with what I was going through, we showed that we were secure and we were stable and we buried the, the brunt of the load of that instability and security for our kids and helped them to not have to face some of those things in, in, in the move and as a part of that process. Well, and, and here's the thing too, and, and, and I, I can empathize with that because I remember being in Richmond, Virginia, traveling back in, in November of 2015, and I'm sitting at, in a job that I love, 
and I'm sitting there. My wife texts me and says, Bryce made the basketball team, makes his high school basketball team. And so now as a dad, I'm going, okay, now I've got a decision to make. Do I continue traveling and being out three nights a week Mm -hmm. and going, well, I'll catch games on Friday night. Well, basketball, we, we play Tuesdays and Fridays. Or do I say to myself, I want to be there. Yeah. And so the decision I made, Justin, was to be there, to leave the job that I love because I wanted to be there. And ultimate, well, ultimately what it led to me was, you know, my son participated in probably 150 maybe closer to 200 baseball and basketball games during his high school career. And I, I was at, I, I missed, I can count on one hand the games I missed. And I, and, and not only that, but I saw those games from the dugout and, and the scorer's table because I was involved. And so when you, when you were talking about, you know, getting your son involved in tackle football and then being able to be there up close and personal, there's a real value for parents, because in and, and, and let me let me dive off this way just and as we pick the conversation back up. There's a difference in in the helicopter parent and being involved. And I always told my son, I said, "Look, I'm never going to go to your coach and ask him about playing time." I did it one time because the coach put my son in. He made a defensive mistake and pulled him right back out. And I said, hey, he's confused. He didn't, he didn't know what he did to get pulled in that situation. But I also told my son, I said, I am not going to insert myself in. You have a coach for a reason. Yep. Has it been a transition for your kids being in a different spot playing sports? You mentioned your daughter finding a new place to do hip-hop dancing, competitive hip-hop dancing, your son playing tackle football. I know you've tried to keep as much the same as possible, but what differences have your kids had either positively or negatively transplanting from one place to another, but continuing to do activities that they're familiar with? I think the biggest thing was we moved on from a neighborhood where they were surrounded with friends and kids. And it was like, you know, constant bikes in the yards and kids everywhere and access to friends anytime they wanted it. And we moved to a 15 acre farm in a very rural area. And so if we wanted to have friends over, it has to be an intentional action. And they're not just coming over for 10 minutes. And they can't just ride their bike there. I mean, their parents are dropping them off. They're there for an extended period of time. Well, let, let, we, me, let, me, let, me, let, let me jump in here and, inter, and go. You yeah. literally, from, from what you're describing to me, and, and the note that I'm jotting down is moving from the city to the country. That's right. Because, and, and I know the Charleston area pretty well. Yes, it's a coastal town, but everything's right there. Mm-hmm. And Nashville is, there's downtown Nashville and there's everything else around it. That's right. And, and so what was that? Let me, let me dive off here just for a minute and go in this direction. What, what did your kids think of moving from the city to the country? Because again, you're talking about anywhere you want to be in Charleston, you can probably be there in about 10 minutes. Yeah. And now you're going, well, okay, if you want to have a friend over, it's it's a little more involved. There's a little more logistics involved. How they adjusted so far from moving to the, from the city to the country? Well, again, I think it was easier for the boys than, than for our daughter Hayden because, you know, the boys, they, they're outside playing and riding their bikes and, and finding things to get into and and we got them some, some, their first Red Rider BB guns. And so there were some things that we did. I built them an axe throwing wall. And Hey, you know, man, don't forget, you'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> <laughs> they got training and protection. They're good. Yeah, there you go. So, I had to th- you said Red Rider BB guns, man. I had to throw that in there. The classic line from a Christmas story. That's exactly right. Don't forget. It's that time of year, too, for that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that so that was easier. We just gave them things to do, but it was a, it was a challenge because now they're like, okay, they had this constant stimulation with the social environment that they came from, and so from that perspective, they were looking around, going like, what do we do? And we don't do video games, we don't do a lot of technology, and so they would just kind of sit there and go, we're bored. 
I'm like, how are you bored? You have 15 acres to explore. You have all these things to do, all this land. And, you know, they were, they were, it was hard for them for an initial period of time to make that adjustment. And it was almost like a detox from the environment they were used to. But we did that intentionally as a family. It was part of the reason why we moved because we wanted to have a different pace of life. Yeah. We wanted to have a different pace together as a family. And, and so while my wife and I kind of naturally came into that rhythm and it was peaceful to look out and see the views and just nature and experience that and the quietness of being on a rural area for our kids, they didn't initially experience that. And it was different for them. And they had to have a, a moment of detox from their old environment and then adjustment to the new. And so again, I think a lot of it was just being very intentional in how we did it. And we did invite some families and some, some new friends over strategically. Yeah. And once they saw their friends coming over and going, wow, we love your house. This is so fun. And they would play for an entire day instead of a short period of time. They started to recognize that, wow, there are some benefits to being in this space. Um, and then overall, I think the family time together became a really important piece of it, especially during COVID and the pandemic. They began to appreciate how important it is just to, to dive in as a family and not have the disruption of, of constant interruptions from other people, other friends yeah. coming over. And as a family unit, we all drew much closer together. Well, here's what happens. And, and as you were talking about that, Justin, here, here's what I, I pictured is when you and I were growing up, we had to go to the environment. So in other words, exploration was a part of it. And, and there were a couple of houses that we lived that had some wooded area behind it. And so you, you had the freedom to go explore and things like that and build forts and, and do all this other stuff. Nowadays, with technology, the environment comes in. It's not the kids going out to the environment. It's the environment coming in. And literally, they can have any kind of virtual environment that they choose to explore it. And that's that's the shift of, of where we were as opposed to where we are. And so, you know, good on you to encourage them to go out and continue to just explore that that natural environment like we did, because that's a lost art, man. And that that's really something that, you know, I, I think about my childhood and I was telling my son one day, we were over near a house we used to live in. And I said, we'd go ride bikes down the street. We'd play wiffle ball in the yard. We would, you know, we would play football out in the, you know, we'd get, go out in the field. And, and, and today's kids are like, yeah, if I want to play football, I just load up the Madden on the PS4, you know, and, and, and they, that's their environment. So Good on you. One one question before I, we pivot here. What, what future opportunities do you see coming from a move? Because people make moves and, and there's a short-term gain, which you talked about having the room to roam and, and, and your, your son and daughter getting some different experiences. For you and your family, what what other potential opportunities lie with this move to Nashville? Well, I think when you live life with an open hand, which is what we've always tried to do, and we believe that when you have an open-handed mindset, right, stuff can obviously come into your hand, but can also leave your hand. And when you do that, when stuff comes out, oftentimes God replaces it with something even better. And so the move from Charleston was a big move, and we gave up the beach. We loved the beach. We surfed all the time. We were out at the beach multiple times a week. As a family, that was our happy place. And so we gave that up and that came out of our hand, but it's been replaced with some whole new opportunities. Like we have animals and we're going to get more animals on the farm. And yeah. my kids are really loving and appreciating that experience. And we've met new friend groups and new families and, and made some great relationships. That'll be lifelong friendships and um, people we want to do life with together for the long term. And, you know, our family is, has also drawn much closer together just independently, as I've, I've mentioned, right, is, is our own family unit. And it's caused us to look inward within our own family and yeah. say, you know, what are some of the things maybe we were missing because the pace of life was, was letting us get by it. And we're a family that's very intentional about those things. And yet it was still happening to us. So that rhythm, that cadence was a big piece of it. And then lastly, I think for the ministry, um, it's just opened up a whole new world of opportunities. I mean, we live in the land of country music. We live in the land of Christian music. Um, the people here are very different than even the South and Charleston. They're just good-natured people, and they're all very willing to, to surround us and accept us. And I've never experienced a group of people that have literally said, we are, we are so glad y'all are here. And normally it's like, we're so glad to be here. And they're like, no, we're yeah. so glad y'all are here. Um, and that's how they are here in the area we live in. And 
Additionally, you know, we're, we've formed relationships and it's open doors that I never would have imagined. Like we're daddy Saturday is the Christmas sponsor for way FM, which is the Christian radio station in all of Nashville. And we're pulling off some amazing events and doing a Christmas Eve um, uh, gifting in the community to change the spiritual economy of Nashville through daddy Saturday. And like that stuff never existed back in, in Charleston. And now in Nashville, these doors are being opened and God's just blessing us for the move. So yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where a door is opened, you can choose to, to explore it and then eventually travel through it if it's the right thing. And we've just received a lot of blessings as a result of it. Was it hard? Yes. Was there a lot of instability and insecurity? hundred percent. But on the other side of all of that has been a lot of, a lot of blessings. Well, you traded, you traded hurricanes for tornadoes is what True. you did. <laughs> we have a basement, so we're feeling pretty good right now where we are. Well, yeah, and 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 again, nothing against the Charleston, South Carolina. I love the Charleston, South Carolina community. It, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it, as it do is, we. Yeah. The only thing I will say is my wife, there's one thing that my wife absolutely despises about Charleston, South Carolina. That is the Ravenel. The first time that she crossed the Ravenel Bridge, and those of you familiar with Charles, and, and I got a chuckle out of Justin when I said the Ravenel, because people in that area know it. If they get an ice storm down there, and it's rare they get those ice storms, but when they do, they close that bridge because the bridge is so is so steep and high that it's it, it is very dangerous very quickly. The first time my wife crossed it, she wept. Because she, my wife is not a, a girl that likes heights, and that thing will intimidate you quickly if if you're not prepared for it. So, you it's traded well. the Ravenel. There's nothing like the Ravenel in in Nashville. I can I can promise you that. That's right. <laughs> Boy, we dove off the cliff there real quick, but no, this is what the Intentional Encourager podcast is all about. And I wanted to remind him a little bit of home, man. And Charleston, there are some wonderful people there. And 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 you, Justin, what I admire about you is you can tell that you you still have a deep love and affection for that area, and you and you love the memories that your family and and you made sure. there. Um, but again, when God calls you from one place to another. The Bible tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not obedient, then, then God can't bless. And obviously, you have seen those blessings manifest. And let's go now and tell your story about, take me back from point A to where you are today. I know you'll talk about Daddy Saturday and how that all came about. But take me as far back in, as your, in your story as you want to go, um, because this is the time in the podcast where we do that. So... Man, the floor is yours. Tell your tell your great story, man. Well, I'll um I'll give you the abridged version. So I grew up in Northwest Ohio in a small town called Bryan, Ohio, home of the Etch a Sketch and the Dumb Dumb Sucker. I know where Bryan, Ohio is. I used to call on accounts up there, man. I I I I know that area well. So so Northwest Ohio. So I got to ask you, did you grow up a, a Detroit fan or a Cleveland fan? So interesting. I was a Tigers fan in my young youth because my dad was a Tigers fan. And then I flipped over to the Indians uh, later on when I could actually pick my team and know what I was doing. So I've been a tribe fan for most of the most of my years. And it will always be the Indians and the tribe. I don't care what they change the name to. True. It'll always be that. Um, and I'm curious because and I wanted to ask you that because that area of Ohio is a very interesting area because Really, it's 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 almost equidistant from Detroit and Cleveland. You can be to Detroit just as easily as you can be to Cleveland from where you lived in that area. I was just curious because that that's a real split, and it's also a split Ohio State Michigan population as well too because of the proximity to Ann Arbor. There's a lot of Michigan Wolverines fans up there. Yeah, I was a Buckeye, so we called them the, the team up north. The team up north, yeah. And, and the week you play them, you don't write anything with an M on it, right? That's exactly right. There's no <laughs> Hey, I got to ask you this, man, because we're going here, and, and, and I didn't mean to dive off into your story, but, you know, I, I was talking to, to somebody yesterday. I had them on the podcast. It will release as well. Big Ohio State fan as well. For those that are not familiar with the passion and the the purpose that that fan base has 
and I live three hours from Columbus. And, and so we, we live very close. We touch Buckeye country because Southeast Ohio and Southern Ohio, there's a big pocket of Ohio state fans there. Can, can you accurately describe living in Northwest Ohio, what Ohio state Michigan week was like living that close to Michigan, but also being a Buckeye fan because that week there, there is nothing quite like an Ohio State Michigan game. Oh, I mean, it, it's it divides families, divides friendships. I mean, my some of my best friends growing up were Michigan fans. I mean, best friends, right? Like childhood friends spent every weekend, every moment we could together. They were Michigan fans, and I was Ohio State. And the rest of the year it didn't matter. But for that week, like we didn't talk. We always watched the game together, though, because we would we would then you know just whoever won would just razz the mess out of the other party and yeah. you wouldn't let it go anytime soon. And I can remember wearing my Ohio State jersey and then wearing their Michigan jerseys and we'd play backyard football against each other. And, you know, they'd be Charles Woods, Charles Woodson, I'd be Eddie George or whatever it was. And we'd be going back and forth and just had so much fun with it. But it, it's a bitter rivalry. You know, I grew up um, in a Buckeye household, so we would sing the song, we don't give a darn about the whole state of Michigan. And because we're from Ohio and yeah. you know, all those things. So it was, a, it was a part of that, the game. And you just look forward to that week. And it was a bitter rivalry. And I mean, I went to several of the games personally and, and attended those games. And I mean, you did not want to be the opposing team in an away game in that stadium around so the you stadium. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, search engine optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. In the games in Ann Arbor, did you go to a game in the horseshoe or did you go oh, just yeah, to Ann both. Arbor? Both, okay. yeah. And I mean, you didn't want to be the opposing side in either one of those. And there were T-shirts, that stuff you wouldn't want your kids to read with, yeah. you know, expletives on them about the other team. And I mean, it is a bitter and passionate rivalry. And, you know, and, and carrying forward in my story, I went to Clemson. And so I left Ohio and went down to South Carolina and attended Clemson University. And, you know, Clemson has the Gamecocks in South Carolina. And I was always amazed when people would talk about that rivalry. I was like, yeah, it's a rivalry. It's an in-state rivalry. But it doesn't – it pales in comparison to the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. I it's mean, a walk in the park compared to the Ohio there's State There's no Michigan comparison. Rivalry. I mean, you look at Auburn, Alabama. You look at um, you know some of the, the better rivalries, and there is no comparison to Ohio State-Michigan. And, 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 and people that, that, that root for other schools, my, my worst Ohio State memory, and I was sharing this on, on an earlier podcast episode, 2004 – my school, Marshall University, goes to the horseshoe. Yes. We, we, are, we are doing quite well. We have a lead in the fourth quarter. And for some unknown reason to this day, the offensive coordinator decides, ah, we're, gonna, we're just going to run the ball. We're just going to try to run the ball instead of being aggressive. And, and we had a really good quarterback. And we just ran the ball. Ohio State stopped us. They got it back. Mike Nugent kicked the game-tying field goal. We decide, okay, we're going to play. We're going to run the ball again. We're, gonna, we're just going to, you know, try to play for overtime. Ohio State stopped us. They get the ball back and make a play. And Nugent trots out again for a 55-yarder on the left hash. And I can still see him, you know, a little five-foot, 10-inch guy trotting out on the field. And doggone, and Mike Nugent ended up being a Bengal. So it was okay because that's that's my team as well, too. He ended up being a Cincinnati Bengal. But doggone it if Mike Nugent didn't step up with no time left and hit a 55-yarder from the left hash. I still have flat. That was 16 years ago. I was at the game. Yeah. That, I mean, it was an incredible kick. I mean, 
that's hard to do anyway because he, they, they played on grass and they still play on grass. And growing up, when when I was a kid watching Ohio State, they played on turf. I, I remember watching Chris Carter and and Mike Tomzak and, and guys like that uh, and play. And I, I still think Chris Carter was one of the best college players I ever saw, just an incredible college player. But then for Nugent to come out on grass and kick one from 55 yards to win the game, was just incredible. And I just was like, oh, man, we had a chance to take the Buckeyes down. But you're right, the, the, the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry, uh, even the the Vanderbilt-UT rivalry that, that you know, now that you live in Nashville, Vander, you know, Vandy and UT is a big rivalry. Yep. There is – there is, and I would even say this, I don't even think USC-Notre Dame or USC-UCLA or any other big rivalry like that everybody in the country when it's Ohio state, Michigan week watches Ohio state, Michigan, it's at noon. It's a, a premier game. It's unfortunate that after 102 years this year, that COVID cost them that game, but it was the guys from Michigan. It was their fault, right? It was the guy. It, it was, it was Michigan's fault. They couldn't play. Yeah. Harbaugh doesn't want to <laughs> take another loss. And one of my best friends is a diehard Michigan fan. And he kind of looks like Jawan Howard's little brother. So, but you grow up in Northwest Ohio you, and then you move to, to Clemson. What was the impetus for you moving that far? Because I would have thought Northwest Ohio kid, it would have been a natural progression for you to go to Ohio state. I did want to play football at a lot of Ohio schools and um, God just had a different plan. My senior year of high school, first day of hitting practice, coach said batter, get out there and show everybody how to tackle. I did. I tackled the guy and I, I took him down and I dropped him and I landed on his shoe. It was sticking straight up into the air and his heel was in the ground and it hit me in the lower, lower abdomen, lower rib area. I thought I bruised my ribs. I kind of got back in line for the drill and the trainer came over and examined me and said, I think you're okay. You bruised your ribs. So I kept practicing. We had an inter-squad scrimmage afterwards. And I just remember being extremely tired and falling down and not knowing what was going on and asking the receivers what play they were going to run and got done with practice, went home. My, my dad was like, what was wrong with you? There's a bunch of people out there to watch me. I was an all-state candidate, had offers from, from several schools in Ohio and um, ended up going home and, and drinking a bunch of Gatorade and just wanting to go to sleep. I just remember feeling extremely sleepy and yet I had to go to the bathroom because all the Gatorade and little did I know that I ended up peeing blood and had massive internal bleeding. And my mom being a nurse kept me calm, rushed me to the hospital. And within an hour I was being life flighted to a hospital in Toledo where they determined I had had uh, lacerated my kidney three, three different places and had massive internal bleeding. But again, by the grace of God, there was a nephrologist who was there on grand rounds and decided to take my case and observe me and leave my kidney in, which in most cases, they would have just amputated my kidney. And so there I am, this foolish young 17-year-old who had only one dream again, which was to play football and finish out my senior season. And I was in the hospital for a week, home for a week on bed rest. And lo and behold, I was able to come back and play my final five games of my senior year. Um, but that changed my perspective dramatically on kind of what I wanted for the future. I, I did feel like it was a gift from God to come back and play those five games. Um, it was a tremendous blessing. You know, that's what every young high school football player wants is their senior season, right? I mean, it's so important. Did you feel that sense of fulfillment? Because you, you, I, I can see, and, and those of you that are going to watch this on video, I can see, and, and what you said was, by the grace of God, I was able to play my last five games. Yeah, And I can see on your face the contentment that you had saying, okay, I had plans, God changed them, but I was still able, but God still gifted me to be able to do that. Do you, do, looking back all these years later, do you feel like that's where your heart is, is that fulfilled, contented place? Or do you ever find yourself asking you know, man, what if I'd gone on to play college football? Well, it's interesting because I found myself at Clemson because of Southern weather, Southern food, Southern women, and Southern football. Uh, that's why I went to Clemson, those four things, all the important things for a 17, 18-year-old. And I found myself my first week in school with my cleats in my hand ready to go walk onto the football team. And there was almost an invisible force that wouldn't let me out the door. And I just remember talking to the kid in my hall who was going to try out for the team and I remember him coming back a couple hours later and he's like, I made the team as a walk-on. 
And I asked him what he had to do. And he's like, man, you would have totally made it. You just had to run around, do a couple of miles in a certain time frame, do some drills. And he's like, you know, you're way more athletic than I was. You absolutely would have made the team. And I just remember crying to myself in my dorm room and just like at this point of, of release, because while I was upset that I would have made the team, I also knew that I wasn't meant to do that. Like I felt, I felt that peace. I felt the gift that I'd been given those five games and that that was the end of my career and I was meant to do other things. And, you know, that was a big part of my, my future because fast forward, I became involved in everything that you could, you could do at Clemson University. I was president or vice president of every society and organization. I was very involved in student government and my fraternity and other, other academic organizations and learned a, a lot, both in the classroom, but, but most importantly, outside of the classroom about people and dealing with people and relationships and sales and all these other things and found myself graduating from Clemson and uh, meeting my, my now wife there and looking for my first career. And I had another choice to make. It was to go and get my double master's degree, my MBA, my master's of sports business administration, or uh, to go and work for a pharmaceutical company, which I was given an offer from Pfizer. And at the time it was harder to get a job with Pfizer than it was to get into Harvard Law School. 4% of the people that applied actually got a job. And I had been offered a job straight out of school. And so I chose the route to go and, and get a company car and have an income versus paying $150,000 to be an intern for an NFL team one day. And that was the progression that I took. And that led me on a course to marry my wife a, a year later after school. And as a newly married couple, uh, she was a teacher. I was in corporate America and I found myself starting to climb that ladder. And she decided to leave the teaching profession came to me and said, Justin, you know, I want to, I want to do something. I just don't know what. And I said, babe, you're so talented. Why don't you start your own business? I'll support you. I'm leaving on this business trip. When I come back, show me your business plan and let's talk through it. And she, she presented it to me when I got back and it was babies or bridal. And I said, I love it. You got birth, you got death and you get married in between. And so we landed on bridal as the model and we opened our, our first store several months later in Charlotte, North Carolina. We named it after our daughter, Hayden Olivia Bridal daughters Hayden Olivia. And uh, my wife left teaching and pursued this career as an entrepreneur. And it was a huge moment because in that, in that time, it was 2008. It was the beginning of the recession. There yeah. was no money. We leveraged everything personally to open the store. She had $7,000 in the bank account and our bills the first month were over 10. And so it was like, babe, you got to sell dresses. <laughs> we got to close the business the first month. Justin, let me ask you something. I, I, yeah. I want to just take a quick step back if, if we can. Sure, of course. Um, I, I'm curious how, how a young man from Northwest Ohio ends up in Clemson, South Carolina, unless you're throwing darts at a map and going, okay, well, this is – had you always kind of had your eye – on Clemson, because again, I, 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 you know, not to keep beating a dead horse here, but you were, you were an Ohio guy through and through Ohio state fan through and through. And a lot of kids growing up in South in Southern Ohio, like I did Southeast Ohio. I, I had several of my classmates that that was their ultimate prize. And they went to Ohio state and they were like, yeah, I grew up in Southern Ohio. I'm going to Ohio state. Was that, was that a thought for you or did, or did in the midst of that injury that you sustained playing football, did your attitude really change about staying in state and going to school or, or was there more to, to just, it's time to go further than, than the state of Ohio? Well, I think that I looked at my experience and, and if I wasn't going to play football anymore and that was going to be different, I, my mind was still un, you know, undecided at that point, but I was starting to lean that direction of saying, what if I just go to school? And if I'm just going to school, what do I want that to look like? I had been to Ohio State so many times. I knew what that was. It was a massive school. I'd be a number and a cog in the wheel. Um, I visited several other Ohio schools, some private, some um, you know, larger D1 schools. And I just, you know, I felt like it was the same thing over and over again. It's what I already experienced. And I knew for me that I was called to something else. And I felt like there was this, this, this unrestlessness or restlessness rather to, to leave Ohio and figure something else out. I went on a senior trip um, over Christmas break with some dear friends of mine. They have a large family. The older brother was at Georgia and we visited Georgia. The younger brother was at Virginia. We visited Virginia. We drove by Clemson. I saw the sign on, on 85. We never actually visited it. And then 
I got back to Ohio after that trip and I had experienced those Southern schools and it was very different. It was different than I'd ever seen before. And I was sitting in my calculus class in high school and I saw my, my buddy in front of me had this brochure and I leaned over and it was orange and it was bright. And I said, what are you reading? And he said, it's a brochure for a college I'm going to go to. He said, I'm done with it. You can have it. He passed it back and it was Clemson University. Wow. And I looked through it and I saw the orange paw. I saw the school and I was like, this is a really cool school. So I did a bunch of research and I went home and I told my parents that I wanted to apply to Clemson. And they're like, Clemson, have you ever been to the school? And I said, yes, I'd lied to them. I said, when I was down on, on Christmas break, <laughs> we went to Clemson and it's amazing. And they said, well, if you get into Clemson, then we can go visit and we'll see if it's the right school for you. So I applied and ironically, I'd been a part of this. It was called the tech team and we would do computer engineering projects in high school. This was like way before that was cool way before anybody was really doing that. And I applied for computer science and I got in. And I still think it was because of that, that one decision in high school to be a part of the tech team, even though it wasn't cool, yeah. it wasn't popular, I did it. I was the jock on the tech team and the jock in the choir and it just done those unique experiences. And I got into Clemson. And so we went down and we visited and we saw the campus and my parents were like, this is where you're meant to go. And I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to go. And it just, yeah. you know, you know, you had that confirmation. Um, and it wasn't until years later that I told them that I lied to them and I'd never seen the wow. school. And, you know, it was one of my only really big lies. And they laugh about it to this day. And it was one of those lies where it was, um, you know, you never should lie. I would never tell my kids to lie. But it was a lie that I knew that maybe it's what I needed to get my parents over the hump to let me have enough interest to, to pursue that as an opportunity. Well, That's nothing, yeah, nothing happens by accident. And, and, and I, I just had to go back and, and really just kind of get close the, the gap there on that story because, sure. you know, it, it, again, it's so far fetched where you grew up, how you would end up where you are. So let's go back and fast forward 2008, your wife opens her first bridal shop. You have that, that conversation with her of, Hey, babe, you got to sell some dresses. We got to do something. So take me in the next few minutes, what happened from there to really kind of build on to where you are now. Yeah. And that's where really the, the, it's a fast progression from there to, to here. Um, although it's been over 13 years now, um, our daughter's born and I found myself at home with her all day by myself on Saturdays because my wife's working the store and fast forward, we added uh, three boys to the mix. So a son every two years after that. So now I've climbed the corporate ladder extensively. My wife is still working at home. I'm travel or working in the business. I'm traveling a lot during the week, coming home, stressed out, tired, overwhelmed, trying to figure out you know, how to manage all this tension between work and home and uh, a young dad at that point and, and just was not having the best Saturdays with those kids. I had them for eight to 10 hours and um, was trying to fill time and fill gaps. And I called it the dad hangover to an extent where I wanted to be there. I was engaged. I was there physically present, but I but I wasn't always emotionally present. And so what I decided to do was just, uh, God just said, Justin, you got a choice. Your kids can be a blessing or a burden. It's how you view them. Those Saturdays are a gift that I've given you. And it's your choice of what you're going to do with them. And so I began to become intentional and plan our Saturdays together. And during the week, I would do research and create these epic moments that we could have together. And it was a lot of times stuff we'd have around the house or our backyard or in our community. And what I found was those days became epic. They became a relationship builder. They, they enhanced our communication. They were far from perfect. I made plenty of mistakes, but at the same time, it dramatically shifted our family and the rhythm of our family on those Saturdays. Started posting videos on YouTube. People started to take notice. And then I was asked to do a TEDx three years ago on fatherlessness. And I gave that TEDx and I learned a lot about the epidemic in our country and around the world of biological fathers that aren't in the home and also fathers that are there physically present, but they're emotionally absent. I said, man, that was me on those Saturdays. Yeah, I can time. relate to that. I can totally relate to that because there was a period of time. And, and I tell my son now at 20, I say, look, you know, there was a period of time where I struggled to really figure out how to be a good dad to you. Now, I, now I feel like I'm a good dad because my son and I communicate I try to be in, I, not try, I am interested in what he's interested in. And and now it's more, you know, there, there are conversations where I can go to him and, and talk to him the way my dad talked to me, getting him involved in those conversations. But I, I, I've told him, I said, look, when you were a kid, I made a mountain of mistakes. I'll share something with you, dad to dad. 
what I used to do to my son, he's 20 now. He told me the other day, he said, you, you traumatized me when I was a kid. Cause my son would ask me a question. I would go, you know what, man? That, hey buddy, that's a great question. And I would just walk away, not answer his question. <laughs> I was messing with him and, but I would try to come back and answer. He said, you traumatized me, but I wanted my son to know and still know that, you know, dads are human. We make a mountain of mistakes. And I love what you said there about, I was trying to create epic moments with my kids, but man, did I make a mountain of mistakes. And sometimes for fathers, that's hard to admit to their kids, to their sons, to their daughters, that you made mistakes. I want to ask you this as we, we have a few minutes left together. What was the biggest obstacle that you overcame with doing your daddy Saturday? And what was the lesson you learned from it? I think it was coming to that realization that I didn't have to be perfect. I just had to be present. And my personality is one of, I'm a driver. I have a personal velocity. that's extremely high. I am a perfectionist to a large extent. And, you know, I, I can be my own worst critic. And so a big part of that was just recognizing that, look, I'm human. There's going to be days I don't feel like it. And that's okay. There's going to be days where I, I don't like my children. I love them, but I might not like them. And that's okay. Right. And that yes, it is. That yes, just, it is. Together, we be intentional. And, you know, we just spend that time and work on creating those memories. And so a big part of that was me having to be refathered myself by our heavenly father and just come to the realization that, you know, there were some paradigms that I had built up around who I was as a father and who I wanted to be a father. And many of those were incorrect. Those, they were either from my father and I had a great father, but yeah. he made mistakes like all fathers do. He did not have a great situation with his parents and, um, and you know, it just trickled down. And so there's a part of that where I had to come to that realization that it's not about proving anything to anyone else. It's not about trying to be a perfect dad. It's not about being the hero dad. It's about being yeah. a guide to your kids, recognizing that you don't have to be perfect and that you need to help and not do it in isolation and bring other men into the picture who can serve as guides to your kids in areas that you don't have expertise and do it in community. Well, and here's the thing too, Justin, you know, I, I've said this to, to, to new fathers before. I have said when, when they've come to me and said, well, you know, have any advice? I said, listen, understand that God is the ultimate parent. Yeah. He, he is the ultimate parent. He, he chastens you when you need to be chastened. He loves you when you, you need to be loved. He encourages you when you need to be encouraged. He gives you wisdom when you need wisdom. He's the ultimate parent. Like everything a parent should be, God is. That's right. And if we just look to him, it, it, it will be okay. I have had to, you know, I've had to, to walk and wear a lot of different hats as you, as you have. You have teenage kids. I have a young adult son. And you realize, and the biggest thing that I would say and piggyback off of what you said, I've told my son before, I said, look, you didn't come with a manual. We, your mom and I have had to figure this out as you've gone. And, and even as a 20-year-old young adult, it's like, look, when you get married, our parenting changes even more. Because now you're out of the house, you're doing your own thing. And so let me let me ask you this last question. You've been so great with your time, and we could do 10 hours, but we have a limited amount of time. I want you to encourage parents intentionally, encourage parents, people out there that go, man, I would love to do more with my kids, but I have work responsibilities, or I have this or that. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement out there for dads and or parents that are listening to our conversation. Yeah, whether it's dads or, or moms or single moms, single dads, it doesn't matter. What I would say is that it's important to always be intentional and that needs to be undergirding. That's why I was so excited to be on this podcast. We have that core value in common. I'd also say that it's really important to recognize the fact that, um, as we mentioned, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present. And the final thing I would say is that, you know, look, when raising kids, the days are so long, but the years are so short. And yeah. It's all about just recognizing the fact that the time is going to go by so quickly, but if you're intentional, if you're engaged, if you're present, then you will compound those memories. You'll compound those days. And at the end of the time of raising your kids while they're in your home, you'll look back and you'll recognize that you, you raise good kids who become great adults and are productive members of society. And you can take pride in that. And then I would say to parents that are maybe a bit have older kids and maybe they're looking back going to have some regrets. I have some things that I didn't do and I wish I would have done. It's never too late to engage your kids. 
never too late if you haven't done it and your kids are teenagers to take a step back and engage them today. But don't do it alone. Don't do it in isolation. And that's where I would ask them to tap into to our program and say, you know, look at daddysaturday.com. If you're a dad, go to dadboss.com and, and look at our course on faith, family, fitness, and finances and how you can own your role as a dad. If you're a single mom or you're a dad who wants to put their kids through a program, we have Kid Boss. And it's really designed for kids with absentee fathers. And it's filling that void through virtual coaching or through an intensive. Um, and kidboss.com is where you can find that. And then, you know, I'd love for those of you listening, if you want to support our mission to end fatherlessness, then go to daddysaturdayfoundation.org and look at our 501c3 and find opportunities of how you can serve or how you can give to help us do that. We've started Daddy Saturday Kenya. So we have an international mission and we're trying to change the face of fatherhood around the world. And there's lots of opportunities to get involved and to participate. So I appreciate you, Brian, having me on. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, we could go for 10 hours. We have so much in common and so much we could talk about, uh, especially yeah. football. Yeah. And uh, I just appreciate you, man, and you having this awesome podcast. Well, you'll blink your eye. What I was thinking while you were talking, you'll blink your eye and you'll go from holding your kids to walking them down the aisle. Mm. And, and you're right. The, 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 the years are short and, and you just realize that, that it's, it's, what the Bible says is true. Life is but a vapor. It's here today and, and gone tomorrow. And, and so, and that time comes and, and we transition, you know, Justin, I was thinking real quick and I'll say this, you know, the transition from becoming a father to a grandparent is not as big a transition because, you know, our kids grow up and in, and in that, you know, in literally the span of a few years, They'll be in your house, they'll be out of your house, and they'll be having kids of their own. And so it's important to, to do those things correctly. Man, I've enjoyed our conversation. And again, go to dadboss.com or daddysaturday.com or kidboss.com or the daddysaturdayfoundation.com or .org, rather, and connect with him there. Connect with him on LinkedIn and other platforms. Justin, this has been great, man. Thank you for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.